I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this, the Lost 49th episode, episode number 49 of Socialist News and Views, the episode that never was but now is. Only if you listen. If a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? If you don't listen to the Lost 49th episode, does it really exist? The majority of this episode was recorded on location in northern Minnesota over Labor Day weekend. Most of it was recorded September 1st of this year. This episode came about because of an error I made earlier this year. The astute listener to this podcast will notice that we went from episode number 48, Comedy is Torture, directly to episode number 50, or The People's Family, like The Lost 40, which is a stand of old-growth white pine and red pine forest in northern Minnesota. My mistake came from incorrectly mapping out my future plans. Like Josiah A. King, who in 1882 incorrectly mapped out the area between Moose and Coddington Lakes, thus leaving the 40 acres of white and red pine untouched. Similarly, I made the file folder for episode 49 early, which led me to believe I had already created episode 49 and thus leaving the folder untouched and empty and moving on to create episode 50. My wife was the originator of the idea of a lost 40 ninth episode and so her and i will be the main voices you hear in this episode here's the audio from that weekend with only in the moment narration starting with reading the news while sitting on a porch in northern minnesota i'm sitting here on a porch in on the cayuna iron range and i'm surrounded by flies there's flies everywhere i don't know why but there's flies i don't know why there's flies but they're everywhere there's also acorns falling all around from trees in addition to the flies. And you can hear the sound of a football game. Local community football game in the background, as well as a riding mower, grinding up rocks, sticks, and everything else in its path. I'm sitting here, I've got some newspapers. It's September 1st, 2023. Sitting in the nature, sitting on the porch here in uh, the Cayuna Iron Range. And I've got a few newspapers here. This is the August 2023 edition of Alley News. There's an article here, uh, Glenalvin Goodridge, 1829-1867, teacher, iconic photographer. It's in the section Tales from Pioneers and Soldiers Memorial Cemetery. Says Goodridge and Gray family, extraordinary abilities and service while enduring racial, economic, and judicial injustice. It says it's taken more than a century and a half, but Glenelvin Goodridge is finally getting his due. Although he was well known and highly regarded during his lifetime, he died in 1867, and other than a handful of scholars, 
Few people have heard of him. That has changed since his work is now part of an important exhibit at the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C. Glenn Elvin is acknowledged to be one of the country's pioneering black photographers. He began his career as a photographer in 1847 when he was only 18 years old. In addition to his extraordinary artistic talent, he followed in the footsteps of his father, William Goodridge, one of the most successful entrepreneurs in York, Pennsylvania. William was a successful businessman, but he is best known today for his role in conducting the Underground Railroad between York and Philadelphia. Their home in York is listed in the National Register of Historic Places and serves as the Goodridge Freedom Center and Underground Railroad Museum. You can check that article out again in Alley News. You can find Alley News on alleynews.org. I also have a copy of Southside Pride, August 2023 edition. The article, Did You Know U.S., Canada, and Monsanto Gang Up on Mexico for its glyphosate ban by Johnny Hazard, early on Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's term as president, then Secretary of the Environment, Victor Toledo worked on an ambitious agenda to prohibit the pesticide glyphosate Roundup and a genetically modified corn. This article will focus on the first of the two substances. Months earlier, Lopez Obrador AMLO participated as president-elect in the negotiations to rewrite the North American Free Trade Agreement. His team was unsuccessful, however, in removing or modifying the provision that allows one country, usually the U.S., to veto international decisions of the other countries. The presidential decree to ban this substance was issued on December 31, 2020 and was set to take effect earlier this year and has now been postponed to March of 2024, but the U.S. has requested formal trade consultations denying the obvious negative ecological effects of glyphosate, including damage to the reproductive process of bees. Canada soon jumped on the northern imperial bandwagon, and manufacturer Monsanto sought and won an injunction in a Mexican court in July of 2022 to keep the measure from taking effect and is now appealing to Mexico's Supreme Court to intervene after the government won around reversing the injunction. This article in The Guardian reveals how Monsanto and its parent company, Bayer AG, have colluded with the U.S. government to oppose glyphosate bans in Mexico and in 2019 in Thailand. You can read more of that article on Southside Pride. Again, it's September 1st. I do have the September 2023 issue of Messenger here, and it has an event that I'm going to be participating in coming up. In the newspaper here, real-life stories of social justice, Hennepin History Museum partners with Minneapolis Interview Project by Jill Bugren on September 14th. The Minneapolis Interview Project and Hennepin History Museum will present an evening of real-life stories about social justice at the Capri Theater, 2207 West Broadway in North Minneapolis. The event marks the culmination of seven years of work by historian, teacher, and Southside resident Ann Winkler-Mori, who set out to interview 100 people to reveal, quote, hidden histories of inequality and the struggle for social justice in Minneapolis, end quote. Among interviewees are artists, human rights advocates, poets, organizers, educators, and more, many of whom were born here, others who moved here from different cities and countries, whose experiences and perspectives provide a richly varied look at what it's like to live in this city at this time. Nearly 30 of the project participants, including myself, will be at the event. Excerpts from the interview will be shared, followed by by a panel and conversation, housing, schools, environmental justice, racial justice, gender, and sexuality are just some of the topics touched on. Quote, there are all these individual stories, but I hear 
the interviewees talking to each other, echoing different themes or disagreeing with each other in ways that are really interesting. So I want to give people just a tiny flavor of that. End quote, said Winkler Mori. You can read more of that on Messenger at www.longfellownicomusmessenger.com. Also brought a copy of Nuke Watch with me up here. Which has the article, Leaks at Minnesota Reactor by North American Water Office. It says, events having the potential to affect public health and safety are occurring at XL Energy's Monticello single nuclear power reactor about 30 miles up the Mississippi River from Minneapolis. Primary cooling water containing tritium, radioactive hydrogen, has been leaking into the ground at least since last November. XL Energy and the Minnesota Department of Health didn't bother to report the Monticello leak of about 400,000 gallons until mid-March and then announced with much fanfare that there is no risk to public health and safety and that the leak has not reached the Mississippi River. Then a few days later, XL Energy announced a second leak of several hundred gallons because the tank into which the contaminated water had been collected overflowed. Not bad for a clown show. While state and corporate officials say not to worry, the problem is that these same people fail fail to consider the authority of the National Academy of Sciences in its 2006 report, BEIR 7, The Biological Effects of Ionizing Radiation. The book-length BEIR 7 conclusively reported that there is no safe dose of ionizing radiation, no level of exposure that can be declared harmless. Every exposure, no matter how small, carries a potential for causing cancers and other mutations. Considering that the radioactive half-life of tritium is just over 12 years and that it takes about 10 half-lives before a radioactive substance becomes relatively benign biologically, it is probably premature to speculate about public health and safety impacts. In fact, there are three pathways for leaked radiation to affect the public. It can migrate to the river, which supplies most of the drinking water for Minneapolis. It can migrate into groundwater off-site, where it becomes available for private and municipal water pumps, and it can evaporate. There is no doubt that during the next 120 years, some fraction of the leakage will follow each of these pathways and then affect biological activity. Of course, nobody will ever know how much contamination went where or know what it did when it got there because radiation monitoring at Monticello, as well as at the rest of the global commercial nuclear fleet, is mostly incapable of detecting radiation in any of these pathways. It makes better PR to just say there's no threat to public health and safety. You can read more of that. Uh, uh, in Nuke Watch, which I'm just looking to see if they have a website, www.nukewatchinfo.org. And lastly, I did happen to bring a copy of Desert Oracle with me here. This is Desert Oracle 10. Desert Oracle, the voice of the desert. And in this one, we do have a short piece on mountain lions, our desert friends. It says, There are 40 names in the English language for this apex predator of the American Southwest, including puma, cougar, catamount, panther, Mexican lion, and mountain screamer. But you'll be the mountain screamer should you come across this largest cat on the continent during a desert hike, which is a good idea. Make some noise. Make yourself look bigger. Wave around that walking stick and stand your ground. There are more than 5,000 mountain lions in California alone, but few people are lucky enough to see one in the wild. You can find more about Desert Oracle, Desert Oracle Radio at DesertOracle.com. The Lost 49th episode, babe. Yeah, the Lost 49th episode. I'm psyched up about it now. 
Yeah. I'm not curling into a ball or anything. Exactly. We are uncurled and ready to furl. Yeah, I got him. The cat knows, don't you, cat? We're on our way heading to the Lost 40. We're going through a bunch of cool places here and see a sign that says, God bless the USA. Bigfoot gas and gifts. The Woodsman Cafe. A place to get your liquor. They've got everything here. And the beautiful town of Reamer. Minnesota. They've also got the Reamer Motel and a giant bald eagle statue. Northland Alliance Church. Heading for the Lost 40. You were saying something about uh, trees turning. What were you saying about that? Uh, I think they're maples starting to turn. Getting some orange and some red and some yellow here on September 1st as we head further and further north. Yeah, September 1st. I forgot to mention the date. It is September 1st. Some of the trees are already starting to turn. We've gone through, uh, we went through an area of uh, coniferous forest. Then we went back through an area with a lot of deciduous trees, including some of those maples she was talking about. Now I see some more, a few more pines here. On the other side of the road, we've had a lot of uh, uh, semi-trucks passing us. We've also had a lot of campers. Campers. Sunseeker was one of the camper varieties that we saw. We had a, had a wide load pass us as well on the other side. And now we just had a locksmith inside of something that looks like an ambulance uh, pass us. And we're heading for the beautiful Lost 40. Just got some gas some jerky and some coffee I've got all the most important things all the things I need ready for any any kind of road trip here got it all trees are turning hardly a cloud in the sky 74 degrees it's 11 24 a.m. cruising along on 6 north Heading for the Lost 40. We're going to discover it. The Lost 40. Bear camp. Ooh, we're passing a bear camp. Oh yeah, we passed a bear processing place where they'll process your bear if you hunt a bear up here. Look at all your bear processed up. Cruising along at 60 miles an hour. In the beautiful woods. You like the woods, don't you, babe? I love the woods. Now we're on a dirt road. You can probably hear in the background. Seeing a lot of dragonflies along this dirt road in the Chippewa National Forest. Just saw a blue jay. Been seeing a lot of nice lakes and ponds because this is the land of 10,000 lakes 
Actually has a lot more than 10,000 likes from what I remember. You like Blue Jays, don't you, babe? I love Blue Jays. Yeah, Blue Jays are good for you. Beautiful day, beautiful Jay. We've got it all here. Going on the dirt road here, and you're gonna turn on County Highway 29 in 1.7 miles. This is how you know. Yeah, you said something about uh, knowing that things are good if uh, you're on a dirt road, right, Pep? Yeah, that's real nice, rural, uh, enjoyable forest. When you're on a dirt road? When you're on a dirt road. Because it's similar to where? Shawnee National Forest. Yeah, another good national forest. Southern Illinois, wonderful national forest. Look at those shimmering, quaking aspen or whatever they were. Sure do shimmer, sure do quake. I guess it doesn't say it's closed, it just says that there's construction ahead. We turned off of the dirt road we were on before onto a highway for a very short period of time and then back onto another dirt road and it said the Lost 40 was three miles down there and we've been following a big construction truck down the road and it's a trail of dust, another dirt road. And we just turned on to Lost 40 Road, so that should be a sign that we're getting close to the Lost 40, but it says there's some construction, so we're hoping that it is open and that we can get to it. Almost can't see anything going down this road now with this truck and this dirt, but I can see a truck off in the distance, so I try to stay a ways back from that. And we're just half a mile here from the... Uh, From the Lost 40, it says. So we'll see what we see here. Elements of an old growth forest. The Lost 40 stands as a reminder of the state's pine forest legacy. Today, less than 5% of Minnesota's forested land is old growth. What is old growth? Gete Mitigokang. The largest red pine at the Lost 40 is 115 inches circumference and 120 feet tall. The oldest tree here, a red pine, is 250 years old. However, an old growth forest takes more than two big trees. Other characteristics that distinguish old growth forests include having been relatively undisturbed, a large tree canopy, unique habitat, and a shade tolerant understory. Undisturbed, Wanishke Igadesinun. Old growth forests have had no major natural or human disturbance. This includes fire, logging, or windstorms. And it says, Welcome to the Lost 40, a place like no other. You've likely been drawn here to see Minnesota's big pine trees. Enjoy exploring this old growth forest and musing on the history, wonderful variety of plants and animals, and the future of the Lost 40. Trails leading through the Lost 40 pines begin across the road from this sign. See the map at the right to familiarize yourself with the area. Oh, hey, another big construction truck is going by. This is your public land. Be inspired by these big old trees and enjoy your visit. So that is the trail. Yeah. Public lands conserve these pines. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources and Chippewa National Forest jointly conserve the pine forest of the Lost 40. 
few areas in Minnesota were untouched by early logging. Chippewa National Forest logging practices in the 1800s led to the creation of the Minnesota Forest Reserve in 1902, which became the Minnesota National Forest in 1908 and later renamed the Chippewa National Forest. Recognition of the rarity of the old white pine, red pine forest here led to outlining a unique biological area to enhance its conservation. Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, the Bowstring State Forest managed the state-owned portion of the Lost 40 after a 1960 correction of the original land survey error. Find out about that error along the trail. On June 1, 1995, 114 acres outlined as the Lost 40 Scientific and Natural Area was formally established. The designation further protects this rare old white pine, red pine forest. The year is 1882. Josiah A. King and his three-man survey crew are working 40 miles northwest of the Grand Rapids of the Mississippi. They plan to map out the last of three contracted townships in one of the first land surveys of Minnesota's Northwoods. As November winds swirl snow around the hardy men, they survey the six-square-mile area between Moose and Coddington Lakes. Perhaps it was the chilly weather or the desolate swamps or just the difficult work that caused the crew to plot Coddington Lake about a half-mile further northwest than it actually lies. Whatever the cause, this error hid a stand of virgin red and white pine that would likely have been sold for timber. Over time, the area became known as the Lost 40, likely referring to the acreage of the smallest subdivision delineated in the land survey, 40 acres. Today, the Lost 40 stands as an enduring monument to Minnesota's pine forest legacy. And don't go into restricted areas. All right, here, you can read this one. Okay, the old forest preserved. The Lost 40 is one of the best examples of a rare natural feature, old growth pine forest, found on public land, a biodiversity hotspot. This land preserves a unique ecosystem while providing critical habitat for wildlife, native plants, and rare species. Biologically unique area. This national forest area recognizes outstanding biological values, primarily managed for interpretive purposes. Management emphasizes conserving or enhancing its unique biology. Scientific and natural area. This Department of Natural Resources area protects places with natural features of exceptional scientific or educational value. These features may include native plant communities, rare species, and geological features. These special designations offer a high level of protection for the Lost 40. Look at how many kids can fit around one of these big trunks. It's a lot of kids. The Chippewa National Forest and Minnesota Department of Natural Resources co-manage the Lost 40. Their goal is maintaining natural features here so visitors may experience this old growth forest and as she mentioned, there's a picture of a bunch of kids uh, making a circle, forming a circle around the tree. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight kids that I can see. And that's not even, that's just one side of the tree. Yeah, that's the front half. <laughs> Is that one of those red squirrels I just heard? Red squirrel. Gotta be. You can see it. The old forest as home and food. Wildlife use these big old trees for homes and habitat that will supply their favored foods. Bald eagle, McGizzy. Old growth forests can make good habitat for bald eagles. 
Eagles build nests at the top of tall trees, providing a lofty lookout and safety for their young. The trees need to be large and sturdy because bald eagle nests can weigh over two tons. Here in the Chippewa National Forest, there are over 150 nesting pairs. Fisher, Oji. Fishers typically stay on the move, choosing new dens nightly in stumps or tree hollows. However, when rearing their young, female fishers will den high up in a large hollow tree typically found in old growth forests. Fishers prey on hares, squirrels, and mice. Black-backed woodpecker, Bapase. Black-backed woodpeckers feed almost exclusively on wood-boring beetles. The beetles are abundant in areas with lots of standing dead trees or downed logs, or in areas that have been recently disturbed by fire. This makes old growth or burned forests a haven for black-backed woodpeckers. Okay, here one. Pipsisewa, bearberry, winter green, Indian pipe, leather leaf, Labrador tea, bog cranberry, tamarack, and black spruce. Ooh, those Indian pipe or white pipe or whatever are pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, ghost pipes. Ghost pipes. I, I, I tried planting some of those in the yard, but I don't think they really took off, but maybe they did and they secretly didn't tell me or something. But they probably need different conditions or something. I don't know. We probably need more old growth in our backyard. It's hard to get old growth. You gotta wait like a long one time. or 200 years. I know, it's too long. I don't have time for that. What do you think of the woods so far? Really impressive woods. Yeah, I like it. I was not sure. What's an esker? Thank glaciers for the towering pines at the Lost 40 today. The glacial landform that underlies the old forest at the Lost 40 is an elevated, steep-sided ridge described as an esker. It formed some 14,000 years ago during the last continental glaciation in Minnesota. Eskers form from a meltwater stream flowing through a tunnel in or on top of a glacier. Sand and gravel deposited by the stream accumulates as the glacier wastes away. Over time, this leaves a sinuous ridgeline on the landscape. The Chase Point Trail at Scenic State Park, about 35 miles east of the Lost 40, affords a hike onto an even narrower esker. To add to the view, Sandwick and Coon Lakes flank the esker. A digital elevation model clearly shows the esker at the Lost 40. The esker provided the ideal sandy soil for red and white pine to flourish. Over time, an old growth pine forest established. Today, the trails at the Lost 40 take you onto the esker. Here you go, this one's yours, babe. Alright. The Old Forest and the Good Fire. Historically, fire was an important disturbance contributing to the long-term stability of the Lost 40's pine forest. Fire naturally burned through this forest every 50 to 100 years. Surface fires, historically the most frequent, cleared thick undergrowth and deadwood, creating space for new vegetation to thrive. Less common catastrophic fires burned all vegetation. This created conditions for sun-loving species to grow. The big pines and surrounding forests at the Lost Forty likely sprouted after fires in the mid to late 1700s. 
Prescribed fire is an important tool for maintaining a pine forest. Prescribed fire creates conditions that mimic natural surface fires. This lessens the chances of a catastrophic wildfire. The Forest Service and DNR use prescribed fire successfully in similar pine forests such as those in Itasca State Park. Fire may one day come back to the Lost 40. Permanent pines. As permanent as the big pines at the Lost 40 look, this forest will change over time. Trees will die and new trees will replace them. Major and minor disturbances, storms and fires may occur. These factors will alter how this forest looks and functions. This natural change of plant communities over time influenced by environmental conditions is called succession. Find evidence of succession. Look for fire scars or downed trees from past changes in the forest. Look for young tree species that might indicate the future. Look for gaps in the tree canopy where sunlight reaches the forest floor. Most significant changes will not come from a natural disturbance, but from humans. Decisions made today will influence what this forest looks like 10, 100, and even a thousand years from now. Major disturbances, catastrophic wind, and or fire resulted in succession to conifer forest. The Lost 40, currently a conifer pine dominated forest, is seeing signs of successional change. No disturbance could result in deciduous dominated forests over a long term. Windstorms or fire could help maintain the conifer pine dominated forest over a long term. So yeah, are we supposed to see the supermoon again tonight or was that a once in a life, was that a one night thing or? Uh, was it well, just brighter or what made it a supermoon anyway? I wasn't paying attention. Um, okay, so it's like really close to the earth in its orbit. And that's what makes it a super moon as far as the size of it. And it's also a blue moon, so it's the second full moon of this month. And that's our episode. We'll be back next week with our holiday special report, where we will talk a bit about some of the ideas of Islam and share some words from Malcolm X in regards to Zionism, which is currently taking the very real and visible form of the ongoing genocide of Palestinian people in Gaza. That's next week. Thanks again for listening. Solidarity. struggle just to stay alive.